Good afternoon. You are on the panel on RNZ National. As always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Uh, and now uh, to the rain in Auckland, it's raining quite heavily, so uh, do take care out there. Uh, you'll have as uh, much as 6.3 millimetres of rain for uh, an hour expected about 7pm, so it'll continue raining into the uh, early evening. We have uh, former Green MP Sue Kedgley, former uh, ACT MP Stephen Franks. A lot of response regarding Sue's, I've been thinking. I completely agree with Sue and Stephen. Politicians should be walking the walk. Uh, Wallace, what a spokesperson for neoliberalism you are. Your casual support of Coca-Cola uh, is extraordinary. <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I'll just say it right now on the panel that I drink about tw- two cans a year. Uh, and when I drink them on a cold or uh, hot day, they're absolutely fantastic and I won't stop doing it. Um, but no, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't drink Coke that often. Thank God um, for that. Uh, but I do love it when I do. It is just over four weeks out from the general election. All parties have hit the campaign trail hard doing the rounds. Chris Hipkins getting his teeth checked by Tasman Dental Care this morning. Chris Luxon in a retirement village in Kandala. Meanwhile, election broadcast ads start from yesterday, I think, or today. Expect to see more pollies on TV, hear them on the radio. So what do we as punters need to know? And have you met any MPs on the campaign trail? What did you make of them? With us, Dr Bryce Edwards, Research Fellow, School of Government, Victoria University. Dr Edwards, welcome. What sort of voter uh, will you be wanting? To, are they wanting to target on the campaign? The voter who is undecided, the tribal voter, who, Bryce? Well, it's a mixture. Obviously, ultimately, it's those undecided voters, those swing voters uh, that they want to get motivated. But of course, some of the parties are trying to win over. Uh, so, you know, Greens are trying to win over Labour voters that you know may be able to be dislodged. Act voters want to win over National Party voters, and it's, it's National and Labour that are really targeting those centrist voters. But of course, sometimes you need to be able to mobilise your own side and get them you know, sort of excited and um, essentially voting on election day. So you want to be able to uh, enthuse them to the extent mm. that they should go from being supportive to actually actively voting for you. I would like to know, before we go to the panel, do we know if there's proximity to the MP that that MP can actually kind of change your mind or at least sort of um, create some sort of bond? I've never met an MP out and about. What do you think? Is that a question for me, Wallace? Yes. Um, I mean, campaigns really actually end end up... Shifting the dial in terms of uh, the the polls, and so I don't expect that over the next four or five weeks, all the interactions of MPs are going to you know, move things around much. And there's very little evidence to show that it, it, it does. Um, so, so no, I mean they should do the best and get out there, but it's a pretty hard job actually changing minds. Okay, let's go on the panel on this. They've been both been part of pink campaigns before, haven't you, Sue? Yes, certainly have, um, Wallace. Uh, but I think that in this campaign, I th- wasn't Bryce, I thought that 
the soft voter, the floating voter, was about one in five. So, um, you know, there's still... And I've been surprised at how many people I know who still haven't decided who they're voting for. I've actually also been surprised at how much apathy and cynicism and and how turned off people are by the whole election campaign and wishing it was tomorrow. But I think also the two political parties have been so fixated on the centre that they've alienated some of their own voters. You know, for example, uh, that's why a lot of uh, Labour, well, some Labour voters are gravitating to the Greens because they're so disappointed by uh, their refusal to countenance a wealth tax, count, uh, capital gains tax, and so forth. Right. Oh, so that's, that's absolutely good analysis, I think. And it's a bit hard to measure it. I'm certainly picking up all those same things as you, and that this does look like it may be uh, a, a very high level of disaffection at this election, and that may translate through to a lower turnout. Yeah. Uh, yeah, students I talked to at my at university very much wanting this election campaign to be over. Now, these are people that are interested mm-hmm. in politics. Mm. They just, um, they're not inspired. So not a very um, mobilising election campaign at this that's, stage. That's quite revealing, Stephen Franks. You've got students mm. here wanting the campaign to be over. I think a lot depends, as always, on, on I won't call it the bubble, but the, the group that you're in. Um, I remember the 2000, the 1999 election, and I think we could get something similar where there's a clear... Um, need for it or there's a clear view that there should be a change in government but um, a lot of dissatisfaction with the two major parties and as a result the people who switch are washing around if you recall in 1999 Peter Dunn was tracking along almost nothing and then one debate made him Mr Common Sense and there was a a huge vote, a jump there and I think we could see some quite unpredictable jumps for the same reason. But the people the people I know, the business people and the people I know, of course, aren't um, discouraged. This is a very exciting election for them. So um, there might be, there might well be a lower turnout. I don't know. But I certainly, it, it depends where you are as to whether or not people are unhappy about it. Right. If, if, you, if your yeah. own team's not doing well, you don't want to go to the game. This is right. Mm, Bryce? Oh, look, that's true as well, but um, some of the people I talk to on the right are not as enthusiastic about this Luxon-led national government as an alternative to uh, the, the current government, and that they feel, yes, they might be the better than this current government, but it's you know, this feeling that they're sleepwalking to the tree and that uh, Luxon's doing his best to be banned interest and uh, not really put forward any fresh new policy that is, is that credible. So I think he's also going to have trouble uh, at least keeping down that act um, support from getting bigger and bigger as we get closer to election day. He, he, he would know that, Bryce. I mean, he'd, and that's his dilemma, that the people that he's got to, to get are those who are centrist and they they like hearing aspirational things. They don't really... We know pretty well that they are often not very well informed about politics, and they don't want someone who sounds nasty. So he's got he can't really engage on a lot of the issues, and he can't take the 
he can't take the lines that the genuine right-wingers want to take because it is his election to lose. And isn't it also a bit the mood of the nation, Bryce? I mean, it's a backdrop yeah. of the feel it, people feeling insecure, stressed, disgruntled. So th- that's not helping the whole you know, interest and enthusiasm or lack of enthusiasm for the election. Yeah, there's clearly a winter of discontent at the moment and all the polls show that there's discontent about everything, really, the mm. economy, cost of living, uh, and a feeling that, yeah, when the All Blacks and other spectators <laughs> that represent yeah. a kind of declining mojo in the country. Oh, look, I and, blame and, the Minister of Sport. <laughs> <laughs> but also, the economy does have a fact have an influence on what parties can offer in this election campaign and they can't offer much at the moment. No so, one really believes most of these endless exactly. promises that right. are being made. Well, I'm actually interested, Bryce, jumping in here, I'm interested in, in this, um, this, 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 this uh, act floating the possibility of a new kind of governing arrangement of national refuses to cooperate post during post-election negotiations. Um, Seymour says, look, if national is not prepared to fully share power, you know, you, you might consider this minority government position. But someone pointed out, what happens when you get to budget time, mid-2024, because the budget's planned way before and everything might fall apart if you just can't uh, agree on the, those big sticking points when it comes to budget time planning? Oh, and, indeed. And so MMP does evolve and constitutional elements like this can evolve. Right. I think Act uh, are, are probably right that they can do something a bit different and in terms of that uh, confidence and supply arrangement. But I think what this really reflects is that National are getting sort of a bit uh, cold feet about their governing arrangements with uh, Act and uh, and quite frankly they would probably prefer to govern without Act and they might want to have New Zealand first in there instead of Act or um, or even there's possibilities for the Greens. Um, some people were talking about oh. National wanting to um, see if the Greens would actually um, support a National led government. See but if, can't see that well, happening. If, but what if, Act is saying? It, what Act is saying? If that's not that's not governing in good faith. That's blackmail. You know, either you, it's you know. Either you do what we want, or uh, we'll huff and puff and tear your house down. I mean, it's extreme, that's no, uh, inflammatory that's, rhetoric. That's the normal. That's just Westminster no, politics. And no, it, it always, isn't. It has, it's it, supply. If you yeah. can't have well, with the exactly. Greens, I was in a, um, a, a government which the Greens provided confidence and supply. But if you're saying you'll only provide confidence, you won't agree to any budget allocation. That's you can't. That's not a government. That'll end course, up in. Of course, um, you well, can, and that's how. Going it's to the polls before the MMP, that was absolutely normal. When the Prime Minister could no longer control enough of his own party, he couldn't guarantee supply. And he went to the, the, they went to the Governor-General, who said, we either have an election or a realignment. It's absolutely been part of the Westminster system for hundreds of years. If you can't get your budget through, well, exactly. we're, we're, we're going to end up like America, sort of paralysed no, nation, no, paralysed over our America budget. Doesn't no have thanks. It. America doesn't have that. Unfortunately Reckless. for them, they can't do that. All right, both. Let's have Bryce respond to both men. We'll leave it there, Bryce.
Look, it certainly would give leverage to any party that uh, is uh, the minor party in coalition with uh, a major party, and it would make things very difficult for them. So I think Sue's right, but it is legitimate, and it could be done. Um, And I think some people would argue that maybe the Greens could have even gone a bit more hard in line with something like this and been able to push the current government to the left. It's fascinating. It's so fascinating. There is also a couple of questions about the worm. We might leave that for tomorrow, though because people want to know if it's going to come back. Uh, Bryce Edwards, uh, thank you for your time. 19 past four, the panel. Sue Kedgley, Stephen Franks with me this afternoon. Good to have them here. Bring back the health targets. That's what national campaigning on health targets for wait times and cancer treatment. 85% of patients to receive cancer management within 31 days of the decision to treat. Shorter stays in ED, 95% of patients to be admitted, discharged, transferred from an emergency department within six hours. Results published every quarter for each region. Now, back in 2007, the health targets were created by Labour. When the Nats entered government in 2008, it cut the targets from 10 down to 6. With us is Ian Powell, health commentator. He was the executive director of the Association of Salary Specialists for more than 30 years. Kia ora, Ian. Kia ora, Wallace. Nice S- to have Bryce Edwards as my warm-up act. <laughs> well, this is a biggie, and I thought, well, you would have been here um, at the coalface when the targets were uh, around first time round, Ian. Not quite, not at the clinical cold no, face, no, no. but certainly there. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, good, are they good or bad? They're easy to understand, aren't they? I, I can recall reading the targets in the paper. Yeah, well, look, the targets of themselves, in the, in the situation the health system finds itself as we are talking now, they're irrelevant. They're not part of the problem uh, that the health system is in, and they're not part of the solution. Uh, targets can be useful, but you've got to be very careful about what, how you use them to judge something. Um, and, I, and I say that because they, they only focus on what can be counted. Uh, and so a lot of what actually happens in hospital, particularly acute admissions, uh, community health, uh, mental health, are not actually able to be counted in any useful purpose from the standpoint of targets. So the, the biggest problem with targets was not actually the targets themselves, but the way they were described, used to describe how a hospital was performing or not, and, and they didn't tell the picture. Okay, Sue. Yeah, well, I completely agree with you, Ian. I mean, I'm all for transparency, and, and I agree there's nothing wrong with targets, and when I was on a district health board, I found them quite useful. But, I mean, we have a hospital a health system in crisis. I mean, you know, shorter stays in, ED, in the emergency departments. We know they're overflowing. We know doctors and nurses are at crisis point. Uh, and, you know, so and that we don't have the staff to deal with these patients. And the other thing I agree with you, you know, we need to focus on primary health care. But all of these targets, or virtually all of them, are focused on the hospital end of the health system, not on trying to get people on on public health measures like trying to get vending machines selling fizzy drinks out of schools and um, trying to... Yeah, I I couldn't resist that. But, you know, public health measures, primary health care, they don't measure these things. So, yeah, very, very limited and and probably, as you say, Ian, irrelevant at the present condition. Stay there, Ian, let's bring Stephen in. 
I think this sounds like people, as as the government's been, who've never built a business or had to reform something or make it work when it hasn't worked before. But you get, you only get it's absolutely patronising. I think they're hopeless, and and all their figures show it. And cancelling targets is what happens in businesses that are sloppy and falling down. There's always excuses. You, of course, they can't measure everything, but the things that you do measure often become centres of can do, where people realise that. They can make it, as long as it's measured, you, and you can't manage what you can't measure. Isn't that a fair point, Ian? I mean, really, who doesn't have a target? Well, look, if you take the six-hour target, for example, which is not just simply in emergency departments, it's actually hospital-wide, because that's a six-hour target to ensure that a patient who requires to be admitted into the hospital rather than discharged in the ED gets there within six hours. Now, that's not, that's not been happening for a long time now, and the reason it's not happening has nothing to do with the performance of the emergency department or the staff of the rest of the hospital. It's because it's due to overcrowding. Last year, we had, uh, from recollection, we had uh, every second day, we had at least two hospitals, uh, you know, base hospitals that provide a full range of services, full up, um, 100% occupancy um, every second day, or 600 for the year. So you cannot funk, you cannot meet a target uh, in that of that sort. But you're, not, you're stopping too soon. Environment. You're stopping too soon. The reason that they run out of the resource, they're not big enough, is that someone wasn't held to, accountable to a target. If the management, and this this isn't the, the, the hospital itself, this will be the ministry and it'll be the DHBs. If they aren't, if they're are falling down on a target, then they put the resources there. There would be enough in ED. Well, that didn't happen. And that, that, well, I was it, on a district health board where National happen. was Nash- the government, well, and we had targets coming out of our no, ears. Stephen first, and, Stephen first and then, then, then Sue. 94% Stephen. in 2014, and for some years, National was getting close to most of its targets. And that's because the target then becomes something that is a hard thing. You can't evade the criticism. If, it's too, if the hospital's too small, you didn't provide the resources. Someone's accountable. The absence of targets is an absence of accountability. Okay, the, the, well, that's interesting. All right, Ian, stay there. I want to bring Sue in and respond. Well, Ian, no, can I respond mean, to I, both. I've already said that I don't think there's anything wrong. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. in, in, in favour of transparency. But what I was saying is when I was on the district health board under a national government, we had the same deficits, the same issues, the same problems. We had plenty of targets. They just weren't met. They were met. They were met nearly most of them. In fact, I've got a few of them here. Well, our I mean, deficits immunization, were as well, big as ever. The deficits are bigger now, but... The, They've got they've got sixty percent more resources and a whole lot of targets not met and they could that's why they cancelled them because they were so far away. Okay, okay. Well, well, no, Ian, Ian Powell, can, Ian, can I just get in there? Uh, first of all, the targets were never actually cancelled. Can, uh, they, they were simply not given the same level of visibility as previously the case. Uh, so they were never actually cancelled, but they were simply not able to be met. They were those targets were struggling to be met from about sort of two thousand and sixteen onwards at least. Um, um, and, and, it's, and it's become more and more difficult over since, you know, in subsequent years. Look, targets with a system that is well-resourced can actually lead, providing they make good clinical sense, can make a good difference for the better, as the six-hour target did for a period of time. It right. Did, there was a lot of good innovation that was associated around how you process patients and how you treat them and and um, and forming... Uh, um, for, uh, uh, 
uh, assessment units for patients that may not need to go to the hospital, into the hospital ward, but do need a bit of further treatment from other doctors before being discharged. Well, it'll be very interesting to see um, the response in uh, whether or not you've worked under the target system. I'd be keen to hear if you're listening there. But for now, kia ora, Ian. It's great to have you on the programme. That's uh, Ian Powell, uh, health commentator. um, And, uh, yeah, a bit of response there around... uh, whether or not health targets work. 27 past four and changing tact completely here. Just want to do a follow-up on this. A person who saw someone open two egg cartons of mixed-grade eggs, and they told me about this. We had it on the programme the other day, and swapped them round. And I said, well, that's fair, isn't it? Because, you know, it's like with like, it's mixed-grade. It's just like picking your favourite broccoli. Uh, but it got on to what has shocked you when it comes to supermarket etiquette, fruit being squeezed. Someone got in touch with me who saw a car key being put into the pineapple to check the ripeness. Another one peeling back the corn to see what it's like. Angela has just texted me, I watched a woman re- woman remove a few green beans from the bag, weigh the rest and print the price sticker, then replace the spare beans. Another trick is to remove the tomato stalks before weighing them. And I'm wondering uh, if around the panel you've seen an example of supermarket etiquette gone wrong or actually not, Sue Kidley. Uh, No, um, I haven't really, Wallace, except I have noticed that avocados, you know, get poked and pushed. And and so by the the lot of them, they're sort of overripe because everyone's been prodding and pushing them. So, yeah, I don't think this is um, acceptable at all. So there is a sort of etiquette one must adhere to. Stephen Franks, don't you local? Oh, I think so. I mean, it's like so many social mores or... How do you enforce them? It, yeah. it, it used to be probably with shame. Um, uh, whether there's a reduction in shame, I, I suspect there might be. We, we, it's very awkward to even um, express disgust at anything without being considered um, you know, far far too judgmental. There's a, there's a whole lot of host of hostility to discrimination, but most social mores were enforced by discriminating against people who who broke the rules. Do you think there's something to that, um, Sue, that what we're seeing here with supermarket etiquette, you know, squeezing the avocado constantly is a reduction in shame in our society? Mm, not really. I think that's a bit of a long bow. I suspect uh, part of the issue is that people are... Uh, just horrified at the high cost of food and they're sort of you know trying to they've got their limited budgets and trying to find making sure they're not going to get overripe avocados and such like and leave them for someone else yeah having done all the squashing I know yeah, it, it yeah, has no. to be a standards thing in the end doesn't it yeah. I mean my guess is that some of the poorer people would be um, less likely to do that than some of the entitled um, Nasties and 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 it'd be interesting to hear from a supermarket which which is there a demographic which demographics do, do, do the most de, um, selfish damage. I'd, I'd be interested to hear if you do work in a supermarket and you hear is there a, a certain demographic of, of, of fruit squeezers? Um, Jen says the most horrific sight I saw was a lady peeling back the lid of honey in a supermarket to smell it, then replacing it. And not buying it. The honey had no 
Inside Lid. Uh, you're on the panel, uh, NZ National, and uh, yeah, quite a bit of response regarding targets. We'll have uh, more of that feedback, uh, the people who worked in the target system in health. You're on the panel, uh, NZ National, Stephen Franks, Sue Kiji today.